are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Hello and welcome back to Primal Radio. Um, Listeners, you might have been wondering why we've not been doing shows recently. Primal Jim has closed due to COVID-19. Anyone who listened to our shows in uh, show 20 and show 79, I think they were, knows Jim, my co-host, has bipolar. So taking away the routine and his purpose that the kind of gym gives him has been really bad for him. Um, So I've been out of contact with him as of various other people like Hawk and Tim Tackett um, that you guys will be familiar with. Our thoughts are with him. You know, I hope he's going to be back soon. I hope he's happy that I'm doing a show without him today. Arguably, I probably should have done shows without him, but, you know, without Jim, it's just not quite the same. So um, in order to try and replace that charisma, I've brought in a co-host today who's going to be filling Jim's shoes. And that is Johnny Mack, who was our hilarious guest on show number four. Johnny owns Windmill Taverns, four pubs in Southwark, including The Ring, the home of boxing, and is a keen JKD practitioner. How's it going, Johnny? Surviving, Tom. Hello. How are we doing? (laughs) Not too bad. Johnny, I heard that you uh, were selling takeaway beers last week. You opened the pub all day. How many did you sell? Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) That told me you sold four in one day, so I thought I'd open with that. It was the first Saturday that we opened. Every every pub in London and England opened. There was a, a little bit of madness, but it, it wasn't it wasn't too crazy because we're we're right in the heart of the city, you know. So it was good. It'll it'll it'll, it'll get better. It's, it's it's good to have the staff back. It's good to let customers know that we're open. So it doesn't look like we're we're, we're fading away, but it's it's going to take a it's going to it's going to take time to bounce back to where we were if it's going to be ever be the same again. I was talking about when you did the takeaways, but I heard you had a bad day of doing that. But the, the pubs were pretty busy. I joined you on Saturday for a few Guinnesses, and it was pretty busy. There was a few around because we're, we're down beside the river. But it usually we're full of tourists on a Saturday, but it was just just all the locals coming down, supporting the local pub, you know, giving us a few bob. But it's the first Saturday, so it's it's our first week back this week. So hopefully we'll see, we'll see what it's like next week. But uh, at least we're open. That's the main thing, you know. We've got the lights on. We've got beer flowing, staff are happy, I'm happy, and it uh, gives us something to do after being shut down for the last four months. Yeah, and you've got two of them open, and uh, how's your training going? What training? Drinking or, or martial arts? <laughs> Have you managed to do anything? It's difficult, isn't it? With yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing JKD on, on Zoom. Our seafood Lackloy has been doing our JKD London classes on Zoom on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays for about an hour and a half each, each night. And last night was it was a tough one. We were doing the JKD sidekick with a bit of Muay Thai as well. And I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a bit I'm a bit rusty. But look, it keeps it keeps us fit. It keeps our keeps our keeps our mind open and keeps us on, keeps us on top of what, what on what we need to be learning. Like you know, but it's it's good. I'm I'm enjoying it. It's about fifteen or sixteen on the class last night, but it's good. I didn't break any furniture in the house because I was doing it in, in my parents' sitting room. Yeah, and you are refurbishing the house anyway, so uh, you're, you've had to move into a small flat for now. I'm in it at the moment. It's tiny. No room to train at all. So last year, Johnny, I was at, I think it was the second birthday of your pub, Mac and Sons, which is the kind of one with all the family heirlooms in it and all that kind of thing. 
and we had like a funny bunch of people. Um, so we, we had did. you, me, Lack. We had Ricky Lake there, the uh, uh, chat show host. We had Ken Doherty, the snooker world champion. We had David Hay, world champion boxer, and today's guest. Uh, and it was quite the crew and quite a, a, an amazing night, really. So over a few, a few Guinnesses, I kind of shared a few stories with this week's guest, and or he shared them with me, should I say. And he's a great guy, and he's, he's got a martial arts background. He's, he's in business with you through uh, being a founder of uh, Franciscan Wells Brewery. And he had a former MMA gym. And so to, uh, welcome to the show, today's guest, Shane Long. Thank you very much, Tom. Glad to be here. I told you I was terrible at intros. Yeah, I know, that's okay. It's okay. It's, it's the first I didn't bring me drum kit. I'm getting better at the uh, editing, so that makes up for some of my stuttering, which I've realised I've got since I started making this. I'll tell you, just going back on that night, I've known Shane since... I met Shane in 2014. 13. And, uh, 2013. Yeah, was it 2013? Well, there you go. Is it that long ago? Yeah. But remember, Shane. Shane, we went. To, we there was a launch for a for one of the Shane's lovely beers in 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 town. And he says, Johnny, he says, uh, do you fancy coming to a fight? And we 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 get on to that later on. And that's I didn't even know Shane was into martial arts, and I knew him for two years prior to that. And that just never came up between you guys. It just never came up because I tell you, if you meet this man for the first time, he just he's like the postman. You never know. I was literally stunned when he says, Do you fancy coming to Boston to see Conor McGregor fighting? I says, lovely, let's go. And I went, why is that? And he goes, I'm sure he was into the martial arts and I still am. Like, you know, <laughs> let's go. And this is before, like, I, I think I wasn't on the McGregor bandwagon at that stage. This was quite early doors in his career. I mean, like, in terms of, like, being in the UFC and fighting in America. Yeah, he, it was the first time that he had uh, he had fought somebody in the in the top ten, and and to be honest, Tom, the the guy that they they put him up against that time, they just put him into the top ten for the ratings. McGregor just seemed to have that draw right from the off, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, Coach Kavanagh, and may, maybe do you, do you actually know Connor as well? No, just uh, just John. Um, we've been in fight cards. Previously, I mean, before he was famous here in Cork, one of my guys would have would have been nearly headlining the act, and Conor would have been way down the the fight card, and he was beaten that night by an amazing guy um, called Joe Duffy. Joe was a, was an all around fighter, incredible guy. He gave up MMA to to go into a, a pro boxing career. I think he had seven pro fights, won them all, um, and then saw how Conor was was shooting up the ranks and making a lot of money. So he gave up and he. Back. I think he's still in the UFC, but Joe, not to be disrespectful to Joe, but he's, he's, he's a genuine gentleman. He, he wouldn't be the type that would uh, trash talk anybody. So I, he, wouldn't, he, he wouldn't draw the crowds that, that Connor would. I was planning to get onto Connor later in the interview, but I'm always sort of like, I, I, I'm a massive fan. Johnny's obviously a massive fan. I, I got involved late and I went to the Alvarez fight in New York. Um, which was, like, I think, the first UFC event in in New York, which was pretty pretty special. But that bandwagon just became amazing. Was it when you saw him in those early days? Was it like he was head and shoulders? You said he lost on that occasion. Was he head and shoulders above everyone, or was it like other other guys were better, but they just didn't have that showbiz quality about him? One hundred percent. But I mean, that's that's the fight game in general, from what I've seen. 
uh, we used to compete. One of our guys used to compete in the Troxy there in London. Um, and I saw so many mismatched fights there on, uh, it was called Cage Rage, and then it changed its name from Cage Rage to um, UCMMA or something like that. But, I mean, it was it was, it was about the, the guy who's got the biggest personality. It, it wasn't always the guy who had the greatest ability. Some interesting nights there in, the, <laughs> in, in East London. You mentioned Primal there earlier, um, Tom. Did he have a clothing range as well? Well, I, I mean, Jim's the master of branding sort of things. So he has like a million yeah. different outfits um, and you will see them everywhere. I don't know whether that class is him as having a, a clothing range as such, but I'm, I'm always wearing his stuff. It was, um, it was a gorilla, was it? That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, so I, how small the world is, right? I have <laughs> training shorts and a T-shirt from that, and he actually sponsored one of our guys in London. Wow. Jim did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. In, fact, in fact, we were the second club to get somebody into the UFC from Ireland. I was in his company in the Hilton after that fight, there was two small guys, two Mexican guys, uh, Sanchez and I can't remember the other guy who was headlining any of it. But Neil got into the, he got in there and, and his, uh, his sponsor was Primal. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's one for you. Small world. Yeah, that is mad. That is mad. Yeah. Jeez, that is, that is crazy. Jim was doing a load of like big shows. Um, and I, I guess that's where his business was. You know, the, the bread and butter of the business is the training, personal training and classes, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and membership. But he was running a fight league, you know, with, with belts, et cetera, et cetera, in New, Jer- New Jersey re- region, which I guess would have been a feeder for you. You would climb the ranks and, you know, hopefully one day you'd have a Conor McGregor story and get to Bellator or the UFC. Did you ever go down that route when you had your gym? Was you... oh, and, uh, no, our gym was tiny, Tom. I mean, we got together initially because it was, uh, I was the only Irish guy. It was all Russians, mainly Russians. And we used to meet up two or three times a week and, and beat lumps out of each other. Um, and it, it, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. And, and faith, you know, a lot of that. And, and one of our guys, he was ranked number three in the world in judo represented uh, Russia many, many times, and he wanted to get into the, into, into the cage. We literally knew nothing about it. Uh, this is going back to maybe, I don't know, 2004, 2005, maybe. Mm. Uh, anyway, cut a long story short, my business partner in the, in the gym, he was, my, he was my trainer, Sensei. He was, he was an abs- and still is an amazing guy. Ex-Russian uh, military special forces, he just came to me one day and he said, we need to fight in cage. And I was like, right, whatever you want, we will do. <laughs> so I started researching it. And uh, the first person to pop up was Neil Goliath Grove, who was a great, great friend of mine back in the day in London. Uh, we used to work together on the Swan. We went to see him fighting, Shane, didn't we? We did, yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. 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 I mean, this is late night TV when I, I, I was finishing work and said, bloody hell. And through, you know, the social media age that we're in, I was able to track him down. I hadn't spoken to the guy in probably 15 years, maybe 10 years anyway, at least. And uh, got on to his trainer who was in Leon C at the time. I can't remember his name, but he left, he left that club fairly quickly. We used to train in a, in a Muay Thai club, an amazing guy here. Uh, he was a European champion. Knew Steve Semtex from Semtex Gym, got hold of him, said, yeah, yeah, Neil's training with us. I'll get you his contact details. 
rang him and, and, and that's how we got into the, the whole cage business. So this is in London or Cork? London. He was based London. in London, so he became uh, he became the use whatever cage rage turned into. He he was he was the heavy turned into the heavyweight champion of, of the UK. He came to train with us. Now when I say he came to train with us, he really came to train with my sensei, who was they call him the bear. Now Neil is <laughs> two hundred and fifty pounds, six foot six, big South African. The bear is bigger. Oh. Right. Um, and the, the the bear was a national champion in in wrestling and just uh, a, an all round amazing amazing individual. Um, so he took Neil under his wing and uh, he got Neil to uh, the, the heavyweight tournament in Bellator. Got to the final. So considering we were a gym of probably at peak twenty people. To get somebody to the heavyweight tournament and get them into the final in Bellator was a, was a huge accomplishment. Again, nothing to do with me. It was just a friendship that, that brought him over to us. He stayed in my house, and we continue that friendship. It's a, it's an amazing thing, yeah. So, so rewinding, how did you get into the fighting in the first place, and what, how did that lead to a gym? Two reasons. One was my temper, <laughs> uh, which, is, which, is, which is no under control. Jesus, um, you are, you don't have a temper at all. Are you mad? That anymore, I don't. Uh, I made a terrible doorman, uh, really bad. I, in negotiation, didn't come into it. You keep going, I'm going to smack you. So uh, I don't do that anymore. So and the other thing was, I woke up in a hospital bed, and when I woke up, the consultant was sitting at the end of the bed, and he said, "You're going to have a heart attack. You have to change your lifestyle, and you know, stop drinking." And you know, I said, "Man, I have two pints a week. I'm not a I'm not a typical Irish guy. I I, I work." like 14, 15 hours a day. And so he's going through the diet and he's saying, all right, well, you need to cut out your breakfast rolls. And uh, he said, you need to start training. And uh, the Russian guy who was working for me at the time with very little English, came into the hospital and we said, what's wrong? And I said, I have a blockage in an artery and it's really, really serious. And the doctor says, I have to go train. And he says, right, I train you. And uh, it was intense. It was intense, but it, was, uh, it changed my life in, in so many ways. So many. I would. I wouldn't hit somebody now. If uh, you know, there's only one, one way I, I, I would hit somebody if somebody did anything to my kids, and uh, I think that would be the only thing. I, you you couldn't raise me anymore, and I've been in some bad. Well, what other people would consider bad situations, I just don't get upset because why I think I was successful in the in the fight game and the, and the amateur kind of side of it was, I can see a weakness in somebody, and. That's what helped me. And I, I'll, I'll see by the way somebody is walking or the way they're carrying themselves or by the way they're talking to me. And I just know, I'm not being cocky, but I pretty much have a gut feeling that I'm going to be okay in whatever situation <laughs> I'm in. And when you were working the doors at the Swan, like, like had, had you been training at that stage? I had, I had trained, yeah. I, uh, back in the day, I would have, like most kids would have done karate, would have done judo. A uh, little bit of boxing, but I could I could throw a punch. I, I could really throw a punch. So when I started working there, I learned how to duck and move very quickly. So that that helped a lot. Yeah, but I remember I remember the, the days in this one. There used to be some characters going up to the door there, but I seen a couple of rows there one night. But I seen it was probably yourself, Shane. It's probably it's just this club, Tom. It's just. It, People are just fluter drunk, right? And they, they'll be swinging, right? 
it's very easy to control them and probably get rid of them. But <laughs> at the same time, there, there was an awful lot of dodgy characters going in and out of that place over the years. Uh, no, 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 we, we, we kept it tight inside. There was very, very, very... Yeah, nobody, nobody messing got in there at all. No, but the outside was outside yeah. was bad. I, I like I went to the owner on uh, the Sundays were particularly bad, and uh, eventually I just said, you know, there's no money worth this. So out of out of 27 Sundays, I counted it. 27 Sundays, I physically fought 21 of the of, of the 27. Right. So I went in on the Monday morning. And I said, John, you know, I just, I just can't do this anymore. Man. Working the door there was especially on the Sunday. It was hours of boredom and seconds of terror. And it was sheer terror because, I mean, it was the guys coming up to the door who you knew and the shirts are off and they're blocking the road and they want to take your head off. And you're like, I know you. You know, what, what yeah. are you doing, man? What are you doing? So he said, right, he'd, he'd do Sundays. And the first Monday he came back into me and he said, I don't know what you're on about. There was no trouble last night. <laughs> like, right, okay. and, then, and then the next Monday he came in and he had two black eyes and he never asked me to work a Sunday again. <laughs> was that, how long ago was that, Shane? That, that, that's about 20 years ago, is it? It's uh, 21 years ago. And I went back there. No, it's it's, it's not rough at all. No, I mean it's, it's no, sure. It's, it's yeah. totally it's totally mellowed out. But I mean, it, it, out of the entire time that I was there, there was very, very, very little trouble from from English people. It was all Irish that caused yeah. the problem. Yeah, mad. Do you know what my dad? My dad. My dad had a pub around the corner from this one. It was called yeah. the Bur the Bury Tap on Stockwell Road. That was it's not, it's not, it's, Yeah, it's not there anymore. But. Uh, I had a couple of funny nights down in the in the in, in the in the in the Royal Oak. It was it was crazy, the shenanigans. But that's only tw that's that was actually more. That was twenty. I'm here twenty five. It's about twenty eight years ago. Yeah, was, was that down was at the cricket it, ground? Is it? Uh, no, if you come out, come out of this one, yeah. Take a left. There was a pub called the Royal Oak on the left hand side. Yeah. You take a left there, and it was down round the corner on the right hand side. Okay. Yeah, it used to be it used to be an old brewery there. Apparently, back in the day, that's why it was called the brewery, the brewery tap. No, we never made any money out, but it was just a, just an excuse to get away from somewhere, you know. Directions around London always makes for great radio, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for our international listeners who are about as likely to go to a pub in Stockwell as, you know, <laughs> great place. It's all changed now, Sam. It's all changed now. I was nearly, <laughs> I was nearly shot there one day. It was in Stockwell, right? Am I? It was, yeah, yeah. And why yeah. was it? So, why did it have such a rough crowd? It didn't have a rough crowd. We we kept them out. I mean, it was it was a great place to be on a Saturday night because it was four women, to every man. Yeah, uh, it was it was incredible. Yeah. A really safe place inside, but outside outside was pretty bad. All right, but I mean that was just because you had loads of guys wanted to get in because there was loads of women there. So it's, it's Cold Harbour Lane was the murder capital of the UK at the time when I was there, and that's it's on Cold Harbour Lane. And it was all down to crack dealing and, and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, the Alabama Three, they're, they're a band. They were, they were living in Brixton at the time. And they did, a, they did an article for Time Out magazine on, on venues, music venues in, um, in Brixton area. And we were essentially a music venue. Nearly everybody got a good write-up, except us. We were described as an abattoir on a Saturday night. <laughs> because the night that they were there, the whole road was closed off and it was a mini riot. So there was 20 of us and I don't want to over exaggerate things, but let's put it this way. The road was closed and it was, it, 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 was uh, it was a pretty bad situation, but we held the door. The things that used to go on, like, you know, it was back in the day, like, you know. Yeah, but I was only young for it then. You, you don't you don't pay any attention. I couldn't do that. No, I couldn't move fast enough to do it now. <laughs>
I remember my dad's nightclub, and my dad opened a nightclub in the, in the Leinster Arms in Minute, and he called it Slims. Don't ask me why he called it Slims. There used to be two doormen from Kilcock, and the, the amount, that, one of them was a judo, one of them used to do judo, he was a South African guy, a judo guy, and the other guy was just a big local farmer, but the hassle every night, was the, it was the biggest mistake I think my dad ever made, 1980s, 1986 to 1980, we only had it for three years, there was lads throwing downstairs, it used to be, oh, it was just, it was mayhem back then, we, we basically had no control, because Minute back in the day, was a very, very rough town, we didn't realise how rough it was, until we moved out of it. That's how bad it was. But um, I'd never open another nightclub again after after seeing. I know times have changed, but back then it was just pure chaos. Chaos. Jack's Bar's a bit of a nightclub. Uh, not, any, not anymore. It's, uh, we're, we're just after doing a refurb now, and it's going, it's, going to be, it's going to be very, very chilled out. That's because there'll be less people in it. I'm going to have to get a fishing rod and go, right, in... It won't be four women to every man in there. And that's the exchange days. Huh? So Shane, a lot, of my, a lot of my martial arts mates, I guess, have done, have worked the doors to sort of get that bit of experience. And I, th- I think, you know, with CCTV, you're a bit more restricted in what you can do now. But was that a desire to sort of test yourself? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I probably always had a problem with authority. I especially had problems with the big type of rugby players who like to push their weight around. I, I, I really enjoyed those nights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what styles was it that you were like training when you said your sensei and stuff? Two, I, two amazing senseis, absolutely amazing people. So there was the combat sambo, which was a mixture of everything. That's the, that's the Russian military martial arts. So I yeah. covered a bit of jujitsu, a bit of boxing, a bit of everything, really. Then I trained under uh, the guy who's still around. He was a world champion karate guy at the age of 16. His name was uh, Joe McDonald. They call him Joe Legs because he, if he's right up next to you, um, he could kick you in the head and you wouldn't even know it, it happened. Yeah. Uh, an incredible guy. So it was very much the, the strict discipline of, of the karate style with him. He evolved that gym then and he started encompassing other other forms of martial arts. But between the between those two guys, I mean, I was I was, I was blessed um, with a with a with a fountain of of knowledge from 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 those guys, and and we're still great friends today. We we meet up, we might only meet up once a year, but it's as if we we were together the day before. Did you find when you were doing like the practical fighting that those any limitations in those systems? The strict karate one, yes, uh, but as he evolved that, it. it it, it was it was it was fine for me. I'd have no interest in, in doing a cat every every week. I I need to be pushed and going up against somebody else is, is the ultimate way to push yourself. So I wouldn't have stuck with any any uh, traditional style. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And I've, called, I've trained with amazing guys from lots of different disciplines on that. And if you have the discipline for that, that's brilliant. I don't have the discipline for that. Yeah, uh, that's why combat sambo really suited me. Because every week you were you were mixing it up, and every week you were sparring. Head to uh, head, yeah. Yeah, and there was no. I mean, listen, we were grown grown adults. We we weren't getting at certainly at the start of this. We weren't getting into this to compete. We weren't doing this to uh, to win any prizes. We were doing this to test ourselves on a, on a weekly basis. Because everybody that I worked with, uh, or everybody I trained with, uh, they were all they, every single one of them at the start until we changed the club and made it um, more sports friendly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were there for one reason, one reason only was to push ourselves. I mean, I, I can tell you there was one very surreal situation. There was nine of us in a room one Sunday morning, and 
we had all been working late that night, but we were some of them came straight there, and we had, we had a particular tough session, and we were sitting around in a circle afterwards. I was the only person in that room who hadn't killed somebody. So, <laughs> I, I mean, a very, very surreal situation. All of these guys are all ex-military, and they had fought in the likes of Afghanistan. And there was no glory, there was no bravado, there was just, this is what I've done. And I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I was nearly shot one time, but uh, I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> uh, oh, you squirting gun. Yeah, so, I, you know, it was, uh, it, it was definitely a surreal situation. You mentioned to me a story about, I think it was about, like, football hooligans at the pub. Is that a... Johnny's shaking his head like we can't no, tell no, that it, one. It, 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 it's okay. I'll tell you, Tom, right? But I'm not going to tell you which firm it was because I'm going to be opening a pub in London what? and I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, a replay of this. So it was, a, it was a particularly bad situation. It was a Sunday, right? There, were, there was two of us on the door because Sundays aren't, aren't that busy and these guys came down and they're, back then the football hooligans weren't wearing their colours. They were wearing, you know, Blueberry, or is it Burberry, or whatever the colour? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Burberry, yeah. yeah. So they're all, they're all dressed up to the nines, and they're coming up, and I'm like, guys, you know, I don't want to sound like a racist, but, like, this is an Irish bar. You know, you, you probably could get your head knocked off if I let you in, so it's not going to happen. And uh, they took umbrage to that, and uh, one thing led to another, and it was it was a free-for-all, right? No, one of them came at the door with a two-by-four. I don't know where he got the two-by-four. It was, you know, it, anyway, he came at it, and I'm... The guy next to me is six foot six, big, big, burly guy. And I'm thinking, right, I'm big now, right? We were lucky that we had, we were in the door frame. So I was swinging on one side, and the guy next to me was swinging on the other side. And I saw the two by four coming in, and I said, right, we have seconds left here. Like, literally seconds left. And it's like, all I was thinking in that, that split second was, I hope I just get knocked out. That it's over. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to feel the pain until tomorrow. And he swung the two by four and it went over my head and it hit the guy next to me blood went everywhere he kept boxing i kept boxing they backed away and i ran away so that was a that was a that was a pretty one of the scarier moments because we were we were literally seconds from getting pummeled but they, they couldn't all get at us at the same time because we were in the door frame in the door frame yeah it was it was like if we had stepped out if we had stepped out a foot two feet we were in serious trouble and it wasn't that I was t- overthinking it or anything. It was just that we ended up in the door frame. Did you train a lot of stuff to sort of replicate that? So we'll do like these multi-man scenarios and to, to elaborate on what you were saying there. But it's like, yeah. if you've got like a car engine, if you have one person fixing it, it's a bit of a nightmare. If you have about three, it, it's great. But if you start yeah. having like more than five, they just get in each other's way. Yeah. And it's a bit yeah. like that with fighting multi-man, you know, th- th- some of those people that you're fighting just can't really get involved. Yeah, and um, I had a, we used to do a lot of that with the, with the Russian guy. And luckily, we did a lot of that with the Russian guy. Um, we, we had a situation here in Cork. One, one of the senses that I had, had um, it was going out in England, so we're okay. Uh, one of the senses I had, <laughs> he had a pub in the city and, and one of the main uh, drug dealing families, I kind of gone in there and said they were taken over, right? But uh, they didn't. So we went up. It was a it was a Monday. I'll never forget it. It was a Monday at six thirty, right? Broad daylight, May. We went in. They were waiting for him. We went in. This in Cork, Shane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. my sensei picked one of them up and started hitting the other guys with this guy. <laughs> yeah. 
so uh, we we came we came close it's, it's, we came close to losing that situation. But as you said, there was too many of them there, and they were like falling over each other, and we were able to. Well, we we got out of it. Unfortunately, we all got arrested, but uh, it was uh, yeah one of those ones I never want to relive again. But th- there was there was too many of them there. They were full of juice, and uh, yeah, if there was fewer of them there, we probably would have had a bigger problem. You talked about that sort of calmness that it's given you. Nothing could rile you now. Yeah. Is that something you think your experiences gave you or that martial arts gave you? And hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I suppose it gives you um, it gives you a, a confidence in yourself that uh, you know there's, there's there's no reason to react because if it does get too bad, you, you're going to be okay in the situation. They've done these tests on. Uh, they get criminals to watch people say walking up and down the street. And they get different criminals to do it. And they always pick the same people as victims. And it's not necessarily always who you'd think, i.e. the person yeah, yeah. who's the most distracted. But they're looking for certain body language cues, like the person who's just a bit slumped, looks unconfident, whatever it might be. Yeah. I certainly feel through my years of doing martial arts, and I'm probably not at the same level as you are, but you know, it has given me that bit more confidence, that bit more stand a bit taller, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like it's something that's in you. It's not going to go away, sort of thing. Yeah. But in in the bad game, Tom, as well, if you look bad and you look bad in front of a customer, it makes the business look bad. So my father always says you have to kill them with kindness. And being in, in our industry, you can always read a person. You always know who's going to kick off. And you, you always, I'll always know I'm in trouble here now with this fella. Or I'll have to probably ring the cops. Or another fella, you go... I can handle this fella. Look, come on outside, I'll bring you outside and stick a five in his pocket. Yeah. Go down there and get a drink just by reading people. And, and it's a great, it's, I tell you, a lot of people don't have the skill. I'm not blowing smoke up my own arse, but I can read, and Shane is probably the same as me. You'll see a wronging. The staff will not cop them, but I will cop them and I'll say, watch this fella. And they go, how did you know that? I says, because I just, I can smell it off them. And I get that just from, from over the years meeting different types of people coming in the bar, you know? We had a, an interesting one uh, about five years, five or six years ago. I got a phone call from my sensei, the, the Russian guy. You know, he, at the time, you're talking about 300 pounds of muscle. He was the Irish strongman at the time. Wow. He phoned me up and he said, Shane, I, I got a problem here. Can you come down to me? I said, right, this, this is not good. You know, when you, when you get a man that size saying, I got a problem. So, right, OK, got in the car, went down. And by the time we got down, there was three of the guys that we trained with. They are now three big, big Eastern Europeans. So there's 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 the there's, there's five of us standing outside here. He had a bar. So the five of us are standing outside the bar, and he showed me the video. And, and this kid in the video is about eight stone, right? Tiny little fella, five foot four. Nothing of him there, like a jockey. And I said, "What did what did you call me for this?" He said, "No, no, no. I got a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling." As he said it, one of the guys jumped out from behind us and floored the guy. Right? Your man had gone home to get a knife. He pulled the knife from underneath his coat, slashed his own hand as he was taking it out, um, and was going to stab my, my friend in the back. But he just got that feeling. He got that sense, right? So it took ages for the cops to arrive. When they did arrive, just the, the funny part of it, there was, he was like Chief Wiggum, right? So he's pulling up his pants, and he's directing your man, and he's putting him into the, into the back of the car, and Sente is, is leaning against the door, and he's smoking a cigarette, and uh, your man's saying, I'm going to burn you out, you Polish whatever. And the cop turns around and he says, you're not even Polish, are you? And he takes a puff from his cigarette and he said, and that's the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It was nothing, nothing to do with the fact that he was, he was just about to be stabbed. It was that somebody said he was Polish. <laughs> yeah. Just on another incident, myself and Brian O'Shea, a very good friend of mine from, from Kerry, he's a big, burly guy as well. He'd he done uh, taekwondo for years and represented Ireland and all that over the years. But um, we were in a pub in, in, in Clapham Common, and this girl came in to have a go at one of the barmaids in behind the bar. And myself and Brian were sitting at the, at the bar a bit of an arcade, a bit of a couple of slaps anyway, and, and, and she left with her boyfriend. And then she, she came in the door, and then half, she was probably about six foot away from Marion, sitting on the seat. And now she took a big, massive bread knife. And she went for Marion, because Brian used to do uh, Taekwondo. He just stood up, leg out, kicked her in the side of the mouth. She's like, ah. The knife dropped, he got her down, he got her, he got her in, 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 in an arm lock. And, uh, I grabbed her boyfriend and we called the police and the chem and, 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 and arrested her. But Jay's, if he wasn't quick enough, the knife was that length. Yeah. It was going to go right into her. And only for him, I tell you, she was she, she, she was in trouble that day. You never know, you know. It's, and we just caught it. And it's a split second. You, know, you, don't have, you, don't, you can't wait 10 minutes and go, what am I going to do? It's just split second timing, you know. So he has it as well because he worked in pubs as well, you know. I think everyone has that sixth sense, but I think your you guys' ones would be finer tuned because the volume of people you're seeing and the kind of interactions you're getting with them, and and that's where like probably working on the doors is priceless. Yeah, yeah. Was the gym a success? You, you, you've obviously had like some of these guys have done very well. Was it commercial success? I never wanted it to be Tom because I'm involved in lots of different businesses, and and that that was my release. I'm not, I'm not a big drinker. That was my, my fix as such. So if we had gone down the business line of it, the enjoyment would have been gone for me. So we did quite well on the amateur side of things with some great guys. On the pro side of it, we only had three guys who turned pro. One, which was Neil, who went on to Bellator. And he had one fight in the UFC. Um, spent quite a bit of time in Bellator. I did his corner in um, Louisiana or somewhere. That was a great experience. But then uh, we had the Russian guy, uh, Vlad, he was, he was very talented. But on the amateur side, that was, that was where I really enjoyed it because you saw guys who came in off the street, especially the Irish guys, you know, think that they could throw a punch on a Saturday night and then they come training with us and they go, oh my God, it's a whole <laughs> different ball game. But to see their confidence and see them change and, and progress, that was, I got a real buzz out of that. Yeah, real buzz out of that. Looking at SBG, who, who've made it very successfully over in Ireland, I mean, they've got several venues and things like that. Has that sort of surprised you how much MMA has kind of gripped the nation? No, John is an is a absolutely amazing guy. He, he did a few classes for us, actually. And just a whole new level. Whole new level. I mean, he, his, his tactical awareness, the fact that he's a gentleman, there's, there's no airs and graces about him. He's a very, very good friend. Um, and when, when Anton was come back to Russia, I was trying to keep the club going on my own. And I reached out to a lot of people. And, and John was one of those people who came down from Dublin to, to do a few classes for us to, to keep the motivation going and, and, and try and bring, bring people to a different level. But from the very first moment I met John, and it was through, we were, uh, we were supposed to be in a fight. That was, that was the one, actually, I think, where, um, where Connor was beaten. We were supposed to be in a fight in a different city, and that got cancelled. And I just, I knew John had a couple of fighters on, on that card. So I just messaged him through Facebook um, to see if he could try and get us on that card. And he did. So the rest was history. We, I mean, we wouldn't spend a lot of time with each other at all at all. But 
there's that bond there. There is. It's, it's a good friendship bond. Yeah. John met him there in uh, Boston. That time. Boston. When we went to see 2015, that was Silver was was yeah. fighting. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't we didn't realize that Boston shuts down at twelve o'clock at night. It's yeah. about twenty thousand Irish over there looking for a late drink at twelve o'clock. You could not get a drink after twelve o'clock. Even the boys after the fight, Kevin and McGregor, they all went to this Chinese restaurant and they couldn't get a drink. Just imagine McGregor not being able to get a drink. I'll knock you. Yeah, oh, okay. that's re- yeah, really surprising for like the most Irish city in yeah. America to. Not have a late night bar or a club. So you've got into the pub game uh, or the brewing game, both, right? How did that come about? Pub game I was always in. Um, all I ever wanted to do was have a pub, and that's how I ended up in the Swan. I wanted the experience. Um, came back here. I had four pubs, sold three of them. Now I'm involved in six. Started the brewery here in 1998 by accident. It was just because it, it was on the wrong side of town, looking for something that would bring footfall. Um, was lucky enough to to do okay on that and, and sold that part of the business to, to Coors back in uh, 2013. That's how I got to meet Johnny. Nice. Massive machine now it is. Massive machine. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, literally, the, the, the little brewery outside the back here is tiny. Why and how they bought it is beyond me. I'm glad they did. But, uh... but Shane, Shane, tell Tom how many, how many 11, we'll, just, we'll do it simple terms, how many 11-gallon kegs were you brewing and what's the difference between then and now? So my, my biggest year here was, was four and a half thousand kegs for the year. Um, last year, they did 90,000 kegs. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's massive. 90,000 kegs. And the biggest seller, I'm not a brewer. I learned how to brew. And the, the, the biggest seller is a brand called Chief, and that's my recipe. Good for the hangover, that one. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I've had drink twice since this whole lockdown thing. Thinking, yeah, I can drink pints of Chief. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> We're Shane. We ha- we have to talk about when you had the pain in your back for years. You have to explain to Tom. You have uh, to yeah. tell the story about you had you had you had, you had you had you picked up some sort of an injury and you had it for a long, long, long time. And we yeah. had a bit of a laugh the last time I met you when you were you were explaining to me what was actually it's actually not funny, but how you how you went through that for all those years. I I, I can't believe it. It is no, and it was kind of a, I, I didn't know whether it was a psychological thing or, or what, Tom. But I was looking to get into the cage myself. And I was doing a lot of training. I was training with the right people. And then if it was coming up to when I was supposed to do it, I'd have a problem with my back. You know, and I was saying, you know, I could even see my old sensei going, is he for real? But it turns out it brought me back 15 years ago. There was part of it floating around in my, uh, in my spinal fluid. So every now and again, if I, you know, it would move. And it got really bad uh, last Christmas before last. So I, I got it operated on last February. And it was taken over. It was about the size of my thumbnail. And typical me, I just kept walking. And I went over to America. I was speaking at a conference in Denver. And they stopped off in New York. Got over to the taxi to get on a plane. And I fell. My, my legs just went from underneath me. Oh. And uh, the poor taxi driver was saying, are you okay? Because he thought I was going to sue him. And I was like, I had to get a wheelchair. And the, the woman was saying, oh, you, you can't get on the flight. And I said, if I don't get on the flight, I'm going to lose my job. So I have to get on the flight, right? So I was in. Oh, agony, right? And I have a high paying threshold. She was really nice about it. I said, Listen, I got four kids, they're going to starve. Uh, and uh, it, it, she had some kind of third Irish in her or whatever it was. And she, she said, Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get somebody to bring you down to the, to the thing, but you're going to have to walk. I get, get you a seat as soon as you get in, but you're going to have to walk because otherwise they're not, they're not, they're not going to leave you on, you know? 
So I was like, how, how's this going to work? Because my legs weren't working. So I got down and I managed to get myself on the plane. And uh, when, when the plane arrives in Denver, I got up as if nothing ever happened, right? Nothing. So I had wow. no pain whatsoever. So I was in Denver for four days, did the conference, flew back, got off on the other side, no problem, got into the car, drove back. And uh, I started to have a bit of an eagle, and uh, then I was going in for the operation, and, and the guy says, uh, you know, you can back out now if you want. And I was like, no, no, I, I remember the pain of a couple of weeks ago, so I have to get it done. And then I went up with my son, so I was on my back for around six, seven weeks afterwards. And uh, I went, uh, I had to get the train up because I couldn't drive, so my son went with me in case I passed out. I went in, and uh, the guy said, you were, like, so close to being paralyzed. So it, 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 where it had landed at that time was the nerve controlling my leg. And it had taken away all the fat around the nerve endings. So the only thing left was the nerve. And it was sharp. I, I kept the bone. And he said, if that happened, there was no way back. You were paralyzed. That was it. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was oh. yeah, yeah. And the year, year before that, nearly to the day, I nearly died of sepsis. Jeez, yeah. do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. That was interesting. What happened there? Um, <laughs> I got an infection on my gut. I, I just thought I had man flu. Uh, yeah. I was I was overdoing. Um, I brought out a well. I did a product with uh, with Jameson. It became a global success story. And I was coming over to London to, to do a talk and that. And uh, I got really sick over the weekend. What's the product? Co- not Connor's drink. No. No, no. It predates that. It was a product called Caskmates. Okay. So, yeah, and the reason it's called castmates is myself and Dave, who's they say is my equivalent in Jameson. He's not, he's a genius. They, they, they called it after us because we were mates. It's just a simplified thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I went to the doctor, which I never do. I, I'm only, I was only registered with a doctor, so that I, I got a truck license, so I was able to keep my truck license. I went in, and uh, I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to wait anymore. And I got up and I fell back down. So I said, right, I better wait. And I went to her and she did a few tests and she said, you're clinically sick. And I said, what does clinically sick mean? And she said, well, you know, your blood pressure is so low and your heart rate is so high and everything was wrong. And I said, right, okay, what do I do now? And she said, I need to get you into A&E immediately. So uh, she got me into A&E and I was after losing and I, I keep track of my weight. And I thought I'd fixated on it just to keep my, my training and my mindset. Yeah. Turned out I'd lost five kgs the night before, and I'm not a big man, right? So um, she had asked me, and I told her, I, I, I was soaking, the whole night I was soaking. And uh, so the doctors, they did a few things, they couldn't, my veins were after collapsing. So wow. they had, a, they brought an anesthetist down, and they, they, one poor girl, she was jabbing my arm all the way up, and it was all black and blue, and the other one, they had a monitor on it, trying to find the veins, right? So I'm changing my flight from the Monday to the Tuesday. <laughs> and the, the nurse goes out and they had rang my dad was down his next to kindred I didn't know any of this they rang my dad right when he lives around the corner from the hospital so uh, the doctor comes in and he says what the hell are you doing and I said, I'm, ch- I'm changing my flight I said I'm obviously not getting out of here today like. <laughs> and he said you're dying just as, just as my dad walked in I said I'm what <laughs> he said you're dying breaking down my dad is 80 odd right and, like, <laughs> and my dad's going oh my god what's going on my son my son and he says, down there, and uh, I said, it's not that bad. And the doctor's telling him, it is, it is. We're desperately trying to save his life, right? So they put me in, they put me in isolation. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've been wheeled up. At this stage, I felt fine because they were asking me a lot of drugs, right? And uh, they're wheeling me up into this room saying, uh, critical care unit, right? Isolation only. So I'm the only person inside this room. 
And they keep, I keep falling asleep and they keep waking me up. And there was a lovely older nurse. And I said, can you just leave me go to sleep? And she said, I can't in case you die. The next day, so I'm in there for five days. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a fairly hellish experience. But the doctor sat me down afterwards. And he said, if you got in the flight, two things would have happened. Either, he said, the, 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 the good scenario would have been if you got out and you were sensible enough to go to the hospital and you would have been on dialysis. And he said, but knowing you after meeting you five days ago, you would have gone to the hotel room, you would have fallen asleep and you wouldn't have yeah. woken up. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. so what brought, Shane, what brought that on then? How did it come? I got a, I got an infection in my gut on the burst. So internally. Oh. And um, it was blood. It was an infection in the blood and uh, went into the urinary tract or whatever and yeah. Jeez. So yeah, went back and they said, you know, man flu can kill you. <laughs> Jeez, you never bloody know, do you? Fucking no, hell. The money lives you've got left now. Jeez. I'd say that's it, no between. I think you've I think you've used them all up, have you? I think I have, Johnny. I bet you're nearly fifty now, you know, so I mean I never thought I'd reach that, so that's a bonus. <laughs> that's a bonus for sure. I guess it's a question to both of you, but both of you have got into the pub game. Both of you don't drink heavily. Johnny, your brother Ryan doesn't drink at all. <laughs> Johnny, for the benefit of listeners, has just flashed a bottle of Magnus at me. But, I mean, it, you don't drink much, though. No. no. Is that the secret to success in that game? I think so. I mean, I've seen yeah. so many good men go down. What I say, men, it just it, it predominantly seems to be men that get into this game. But... You get guys who get into you can get into a habit very quickly. I mean, I made a point when I was in London that I wouldn't have a drink after work because if you're working five nights a week and you're having one and then you're going out on a Saturday or you're going out on your day off, then you're drinking six or seven days a week and yeah. it can really quickly mount up. And I I saw that like that's why I only like I've got involved in other businesses, but only when I've got involved with an expert. And I nearly opened in Spain a couple of times. I spent some time there, and the average uh, the average turnaround in, in the Costa del Sol is six months. So you're looking at how how could it be six months? How could people get it so wrong? But and it goes down to that. that uh, and it was especially English people going over Drink. who had, yeah. who had got uh, expect no, but it was it was it was people who didn't understand the trade who went over and they got a good pension package or they got a good redundancy, and they say oh it's only going to cost you fifty grand to open up this bar or whatever it is. So they pump it all in, and within three months they've drank it all because they just get into the habit and and their whole lives are ruined. So uh, yeah. I, I, they took that to heart and. Like, don't get me wrong, I love to have a drink, but I wouldn't be a guy who go out every every week. Yeah. You can't do it and, and, and run a business and have the responsibility of whatever size of a task or whatever whatever size of uh, employees you have. Like, you know, you're you're there to make sure to maintain that they're they have a day of a job as well. But years ago, look when when you're you're when you're young, I had no sense when I came over here twenty five years ago. But you you soon learn when you get when you get a wife and you get a couple of kids. And yeah. you get, you've got some responsibilities, but now it's only every now and again. It's gas, Shane, it's gas. That second year anniversary party in Mackinson's was probably the most I've ever seen you drank in your life. I think it was the most I ever drank in my life. We <laughs> to get over it, and I was singing. I haven't got a note in my head, and I was singing. Oh, you were up singing with me and Ken Doherty. That was right. <laughs> that is no I, got him, I got yeah. him up singing. Yeah. <laughs> That was a, that was a great night. Can't remember the song, but it was a, a Fields believable... of Athenry is what it was. The Fields of Athenry. Uh, I just forgot about that. But you, you have to. Uh, you can't be going out drinking every night. It's just. No, it's... and I have when I'm when I'm overworking in London, and and Coors asked me to go out and with clients. I have a two point limit. It's two yeah. points. 
that whichever comes first. Yeah, no, you're dead right. You're dead right. Anytime I've met you now, it's it's a couple of social events and uh, straight home. Yeah. It's difficult for you though, Johnny, isn't it? Because like, say on Saturday, it's like there's a steady stream of people like me and Emma coming down. Like, I'll oh, come and have a drink with us. You know, you had three with us. If you did that with anyone else, it's, before you know it, you've had eight. The thing, what's funny is because I've I've moved into a my my apartment down beside the pub, down with the barber shop while yeah. I'm refurbing the house in Dulwich, and the pub is just down the road. And I'm going, you know, so I might fancy a pint tonight, but you could get fond of doing it every night, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's nice to be that little little bit outside of, like, when I was in Camberwell and Dulwich, you'd be going, ah, look, I'll just watch it on the cameras. But if you hear, you could get into the habit of walking up and down and having having a few drinks, like, you know. Shane, I, I wanted to sort of, like, close out with a couple of things. One is asking you what the future holds. And the other one is, like, you know, have you got any sort of, like, life lessons, martial arts lessons that you'd like to share with our listeners? In general, what does the future hold? COVID and beyond. I think, well, my experience out of all of this, I think people have gone back to family values. I mean, I've, I've certainly reached out to friends of mine that I probably should have done before this. You know, the, the, the bonds are back up again, which is, which yeah. is a good thing. Life lessons going forward is, is, is definitely family first. I mean, my, my kids, I always get back at the weekend, no matter where I am, I always get back at the weekend. But uh, I'm probably more in tune now with them. My eldest is going for his black belt this year in Taekwondo. Oh, good man. Yeah, he's th- he's thirteen. That's a huge sense of pride on that one. Um, my uh, two daughters, one is three. She's starting taekwondo. She's just started taekwondo before this collapsed. And my my seven year old has been doing it since she's four. So, um, like, like, yeah, I suppose any any lesson going forward is 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 family first. Yeah. Good man. Good man. Well, I'd just like to say a message which I think will resonate with you guys, which is for people, now businesses are starting to open up, try and support your local businesses, get down to like your local pubs like Johnny and Shane's and drink there, don't drink at your big chains, you know, support your local people. Hey, Johnny? That's right. Come down and support the locals. I know we're only charging 12 euros a pint, but it's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) 12 sterling, sorry. If you do talk to the guy in, in Primal, he, he may or may not remember me, I don't know, but uh, I, I certainly was in his company and he was a gentleman. Jim McCann, hopefully you're listening. We miss you and uh, thanks very much, gentlemen. Primal Radio, peace out. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.